0: You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel, Grand Hall, and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose, McKinney and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinleys Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. For all your equipment needs, sales and rental, please visit McAllister.com. We're also pleased to announce our podcast is now a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You can find leaders and legends at AllIndianaPodcastNetwork.com. Our guest today, Julie Goodman, CEO of Arts Council of Indianapolis. Our co-host, we brought her back after a long sabbatical, Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. We have missed her terribly, and we are so thrilled to have her on this podcast. We hope all of you are doing well in these uncertain and certainly unprecedented times. We're very grateful for Julie, and we turn it over to Danielle as always, so she can have the first word, and she's going to do the five questions, so she's going to have the last word. Danielle, go ahead. There's probably
1: a joke in there, Robert, right? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, Julie, thanks for being with us um, today on this gorgeous, sunny Wednesday in Indianapolis, and welcome to Leaders and Legends. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for for having me. Oh, good. So I hope you've taken a look at the other podcast guests. You're in great company, really great company. But today is about you and what you do with Arts Council of Indianapolis. Um, You've been there for not a very long time. So maybe let's start with just a little bit for our audience who may not understand, um, one, what is the Arts Council of Indianapolis? So just some real basics around... The mission, the work. Um, if you want to get into some of the major themes of you know activities that you do, but also a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Well, sure. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Why? is the first thing I should say is I was a Girl Scout, so oh, yeah. I feel yes, um, and I was a Girl Scout leader, uh, so of my daughter's troops. So thank you for what you do, um, and I also have a, a long history in public relations, Robert. So we have we have that in common. Um, the, so the Arts Council of Indianapolis is the local arts advocacy and services agency for central Indiana and um, our origin story is, is important, I think, for folks to understand just in terms of our relationship and our partnership with the city of Indianapolis um, and the Arts Council uh, was, was created in 1987 and it came from a, a realization in the mid 80s that we were the largest city in the country without a local arts council. Um, so Mayor Hudnut uh, asked for a, a group of community leaders to evaluate this, to come up with some uh, a, a charter and a, a mission for, for this. And um, in 87, the arts council was created. And our first, um, our, our first responsibility was really to serve as an arm's length agency in support of the city uh, to be able to administer public funds to the arts. So that, that's really the, the, um, the essence of our mission still to this day is to be a partner with the city of Indianapolis in the, uh, in the distribution of public funds. And today that looks like Uh, the allocation of $1.4 million to 70 arts organizations in our community. So that is kind of the core of of what we do. But our mission um, specifically states that we exist to foster meaningful engagement in the arts by nurturing a culture where artists and arts organizations thrive. And we're unique uh, in the, the realm of arts agencies In that respect, that we serve both organizations and artists. Um, And we do that through the grant making that I mentioned. So, in partnership with the City of Indianapolis and the annual grants program, we also operate a number of artist fellowships that are funded through private philanthropy. Um, We have an artist services uh, team that helps with professional development, capacity building, artist engagement. And that shows up in the community through programs like Welcome Race Fans and the Mask Up Indy um, commissions that we just did in partnership with the city. Uh, We have an arts education partnership with Indianapolis Public Schools uh, that's very important to us and and, uh, helps ensure that every student in our city has equitable access to arts education and experiences. Um, We manage the public art program for the city. And so we help support the public art for neighborhoods program and other public art uh, initiatives. And um, the community probably knows us uh, through the 46 for 46 mural program for the Super Bowl. So uh, a lot of work on on, um, public art partnerships, collaborations, integration into major citywide events. And then another thing that's unique about the Arts Council is that we own and operate two venues uh, and not all arts councils have that, but we have the Arts Garden, the Indianapolis Arts Garden is owned and operated by the Arts Council uh, and then also Gallery 924. So it's unusual that we have venues where we can engage artists, we can present art uh, and art experiences in the community. um, And those are also important uh, the Arts Garden, in particular, in terms of our, our revenue and our ability to be able to support our mission. Um, and then finally, advocacy and marketing, of course,
1: is, is key to what we do. That's a great um, kind of overview. And I want to actually toss it to Robert with this, uh, I guess, with this connection, if you don't mind. So you talked about the genesis of the organization um, in 1987 And, Robert, you always talk about on these podcasts what our city was like um, and what were some of these kind of catalytic changes. And so maybe for our listeners, Robert, I'm thinking, what else was happening? I mean, I think even in the history of the Arts Garden on your – on the Arts Council, excuse me, on your website, you talk about the Pan Am Games and 1980 and our city. And so, Robert, maybe give some – I guess if you don't mind – some historic context to why this fit in and how it fit in.
0: Well, we would need – David Frick and Mark Miles and uh, Ted Bohm and Allison Langdon and other folks who have appeared on the podcast to, to really give a, a sense of history. they've What they've detailed for us and including folks like Bill Benner and others who were involved in the media or leading the city in the mayor's office or working in nonprofits is that no city comes together like Indianapolis does. And the spirit of volunteerism, of which both of you I'm sure are very, very familiar, is second to none when it comes to Indianapolis and other cities. 1987, the Pan Am Games were held, and I didn't know what the Pan Am Games were. My only connection was the fact that I had to move out of my army barracks at Fort Ben Harrison to house the athletes coming from other countries. And none of us knew why we were moving. We didn't know any anything about it. But as you... One of the points of, of starting my podcast was to talk to folks who've done amazing things, including uh, talking to you, Danielle, and talking to you, Julie, and, and people like Ted Bohm, who oversaw the transformation of what P.E. McAllister once called an oval in the cornfield, which was Indianapolis, into a city capable of hosting Pan Am Games, National Sports Festival, and obviously the Super Bowl. And the arts were a huge component of that. I remember seeing the arts garden and thinking, why is that in Indianapolis? Why is that not in, you know, insert cosmopolitan city here, but it belongs here. And it's in terrific hands with the arts council and just walking through it shows you the influence that the arts council has on it.
1: Yeah, thanks for that, Robert. I think, um, again, setting that context of time and place for our listeners probably helps tell the story, Julie, of really probably how far the organization has come, which was really going to be my next question, you know, um, and forgive me, you've been with the organization as CEO for about a year and a half. Is that timeline about right? Yeah, I joined in, in
2: March. Uh, so, um, March was my, was my one year and I've been back in Indianapolis, uh, for two years prior to that. But, um, I actually, uh, I grew up in Indy, and he's my hometown, um, but I actually left Indianapolis to go to school right as the Arts Council was being created. Um, and I uh, went to Miami University and ended up in Cincinnati from there and spent most of my professional career uh, in Cincinnati um, coming back to Indianapolis, benchmarking what was happening in Indianapolis based on, on some of the work I was doing there. Um, and then had the opportunity to come back with Strata Education Network. Um, so that, that's been a, my,
1: my journey back to Indianapolis, but it's great to be home. Well, welcome back. We're, we're happy to have you back. And I think Robert and myself, we're, we're all Indiana, Indi, Indian natives, so it's um, like we're a little club here. Um, <laughs> but I, so shifting gears just a bit. Yeah. So being nonprofit leaders as we are, and I think Robert introduced us both as that way, This COVID environment um, has created a number of challenges, but certainly one of them is being a nonprofit. And um, I know you've had some recent successes and there's been some dollars that have been, um, frankly, earmarked for arts, which I also think is a great mark of a great city that people remember that we need to take care of the arts as we do our youth and so forth. So talk to us a little bit about, because it's hard not to. It's hard not to talk about COVID. So talk a little bit about how it's impacted your work, how it's potentially caused you to do things a little bit differently, think about your future differently, and, um, and those dollars that have been potentially life-changing for the artists. I mean, that's certainly a, an, employee, an, an employee set that um, could be very impacted without the nonprofit support.
2: Absolutely. Um, well, I think it's, it's changed us, it's changed so much uh, for everyone. Um, but I think just going back to our mission um, and this, you know, our, our work to nurture a culture where artists and arts organizations thrive, I think it's just important to, to ground us in where we started. So, um, and, and where we are as a sector, just to help give some some perspective, so before COVID, um, we were in an absolute renaissance in terms of arts and culture in Indianapolis, and we, we really were and are thriving and will again. Um, but the, the, the nonprofit sector, which is what we, we represent at the Arts Council, generates $440 million in annual economic impact. We support 30,000 jobs about half of those are independent artists and contractors and freelancers and gig workers. Um, and then about half of those are affiliated with organizations. And then we also generate uh, within that about 48 million in city and state revenues uh, annually. So it, I just it's Im- important when we talk about the impact of COVID to understand the impact in, the, in, in that bigger picture in that landscape. Um, but obviously, it, like everyone, it has been absolutely devastating. Um, I March uh, 13th will be forever <laughs> burned in my brain, and my heart, um, as the first uh, phone call that we helped host with Arts Leaders, um, which really started us on this path of, of recovery and relief work uh, with the sector. But for the Arts Council, I mean, we, we pivoted like so many organizations, we pivoted, uh, you know, 180 in, a, in, in focusing our energy, our service to the sector, our service to the community against COVID relief and recovery, um, and then integrating that into our, our core work, um, which, which continues. So the first thing we did is, is just try to get an assessment, uh, just try to, and being, being the advocacy agency for the sector, just making sure that we, we had a handle on the impact and, and had data to be able to communicate the impact. Um, so we did a, a number of, we've done a number of surveys and assessments, but what all of that tells us is that um, by the end of June, we had experienced 20,000 event closures and cancellations in arts and culture in our city. And we know that that's now projected to be 30,000 closures and cancellations and and growing uh, by the end of September. And so when you think about that, then the the cascade of all of the financial impacts, what that means for our sector is that we're experiencing about $8.6 million in financial losses every month. That looks like $50 million in losses by the end of September. And then we also, through our assessment, uh, understood that there was gonna be an additional $20 million of expense, unanticipated, unbudgeted, unidentified uh, expenses related to restart costs. So that, that was the, um, the landscape that, that we were operating from, from, an, from an impact standpoint. And from there, we worked with the sector. And I think like so many things about Indianapolis, this has all been so rooted in collaboration and uh, mind share and thought partnership with our other civic partners who were navigating this with their sectors, sharing across our civic partners, so much collaboration with the city, with our public health officials. And then, importantly, within the sector. So every Friday since March, uh, that that March thirteenth, we have been convening uh, calls with uh, between eighty and hundred arts leaders, um, and these have been conversations. They've been a, a community of support, of learning, of sharing, of bringing experts in, of of um, sharing experience. So it's just been absolutely essential and I think again just such a such a statement about our spirit and the DNA of Indianapolis uh, but it is that's definitely been a, a theme um, but the the first thing we focused on was relief immediate relief for individuals because through all those cancellations um, employment evaporated for so many individuals in our community and uh, for artists Uh, and arts and culture workers, um, we we knew that was gonna be a real challenge and we knew that it was gonna take time for some of the federal support programs and unemployment and some of those benefits to come online. So we quickly worked to put an emergency relief fund in place and by March 19th, we launched a fund, um, thanks to the generosity of some incredible Foundations that we have there were uh, six foundations that came forward with lead gifts of fifty thousand um, dollars the Alan Whitehill clues foundation CICF was a part of that the Crystal DeHaan Family Foundation Ephraimson Family Foundation Glick Philanthropies and, and the Herbert Simon Family Foundation and they helped seed a fund that would eventually grow to four hundred seventy five thousand dollars so from March through early June, it was it was intended to be about a three month relief fund. We were able to uh, distribute five hundred dollar rapid response grants to about um, we made nine hundred fifty grants in that period. So that was a rolling weekly cycle, and we were just trying to make sure we were getting resources out to individual artists and creatives in our community that uh, were were really. Um, struggling to make basic, it was basic living expenses. And unfortunately, um, that is, that is still true today. So that got us through the first three months. We're now actively working on replenishing that fund. Uh, So um, we have focused on some additional support and, and helping artists Uh, navigate the unemployment benefits. We know through our our surveys, that's just a complex system and um, there there just were some barriers and challenges to being even able to access the the benefits that were available. We all experienced that, I think, with the PPP program too on the organization side. Um, So just continuing to try to bring resources to the sector to help uh, them know, make sure everyone was aware of the resources and support available and then help navigating that and, and accessing that was was key. Um, a few other dimensions of relief uh, included partnership with the city. So the annual grants program, we worked with the city to accelerate payments. Uh, those come online in the spring through the summer and, and the city was terrific and worked with us to make sure that we could accelerate those grant payments uh, in April. And so that was very, very helpful. And that's general operating support that was critical for our organizations. And then most recently, um, we are so grateful to the Lilly Endowment um, for uh, supporting a a fund that's the Restart and Resilience Fund. And this is specifically designed to help organizations Uh, with those unanticipated extraordinary expenses I mentioned. So this fund is really designed to help organizations adapt and reopen safely and adjust to what operations looks like in this new COVID-informed world. Um, And uh, it's nationally significant. I mean, I'm involved in a lot of conversations with Americans for the Arts. We are so fortunate to be able to have this this level of support and helping our organizations um, have confidence, have hope, have support in being able to to think about this pathway to, to reopening and that work um, that that fund is now open and we are accepting applications. But that's a that's going to be a, a a bit of a long journey to help our all of our organizations reopen and, and adjust. So that work will be going on for,
1: for about 18 months at least. Wow. Again, I, I can't agree more than how fortunate we are as a city to have so many great um, organizations who do support and the philanthropy in our city is, uh, Girl Scouts has 111 councils in the country. I can't tell you how many would, you know, <laughs> they're very envious of what we have here in Indianapolis. So I'm sure you're finding fair. the same.
2: Yeah, we are very, very fortunate. Um, so yes, it, it's, it is extraordinary and, and to have that, it, it's a $10 million fund, which is just um, tr- tremendously meaningful. Uh, and, and, and yet we know we, that we have a ways to go. I mean, it's, this is gonna be a long, a long path to recovery. So there's more that we need to do, but that was a huge boost uh, to the sector and we are so grateful.
1: What about, um, so through all this, right, you talk about the sector, mm-hmm. and similar in my space, some lessons learned, we actually hope will stay with us forever. Like, we hope we'll never go back to a place where, for um, our example would be Girl Scouts, that you were bound by geography, you know, that the only expert you could hear from was one that you could go and see, you know, right in your own community. And rather, we now have Girl Scouts who, who the virtual learning opportunities space has allowed them to do things like hula dancing with a teacher in Hawaii, right? I mean, so we hope to never go back again, but then there's other parts where it's like, Oh my gosh, camping. It is, it's corner. I mean it's cornerstone for a lot of families and Girl Scouts and girls and, and the fact that we couldn't do that. Right. So we don't want to experience that again if we can help it. So I'm curious in the arts sector, Julie, are there some pivots that you're all thinking, wow, this is really going to change the face of arts and we're happy. And, or are there spaces in the sector where you're like, Oh, this is devastating and we have to make sure it gets back as soon as possible.
2: Yeah. I, I love that. Um, And it's, it's actually, I think maybe a little similar to what you were describing. Um, There, there are good things. There's a lot of innovation that is coming from this experience. There's a lot of collaboration that's, that's coming from this. I think it's broken down. Um, it's just brought everyone together in terms of our organizations and in, you know, helping our organization leaders get to know each other at deeper levels, understand our missions and, and really rethinking mission delivery and what that looks like um virtual content of course is a huge part of this and we saw that from the very first days of this crisis the the need the drive for artists and for arts organizations to continue to serve the community through through their art to be that source of hope and connection and inspiration um and so we, from, from the very first days, um, just tried to capture what was happening organically with this, uh, it was a simple hashtag campaign, was, and it's Indie Keeps Creating. But we were trying to create a, a way to, to be able to capture and document and share all of these amazing experiences that were starting to show up. online and so um, that's been really fun and inspiring to see uh, Both individual artists and how they've been doing virtual performances and how they're being supported in that and our organizations and so to your point, I think expanding access reaching new audiences um, has been huge and a huge benefit and uh, and and great learning And I think that's what we want to hold on to is that expanded access and the innovation and these hybrid models that are now emerging with, you know, thanks to technology that create a a broader audience and, and more access to arts in our community. At the same time, I think we are all feeling the fatigue mm-hmm. of virtual only, right? So I think it is that like nothing is nothing can replace um, live experiences, live theater, that shared experience of being in uh, in a in a theater with others or in a museum environment with others, and just having those those shared community experiences is. Irreplaceable and I, I equate it to um, you know, so many of us who love Hamilton, you know Now we can watch it in our in our living room in our on our phone, you know that and that's amazing But it is not the same as as being in the theater and, and having that experience live So I think it, it's very much to what you're saying is there's there is good that's coming from this and we want to hold on to that and we and we will um, and boy we can't we can't wait to be able to get back in the theater and have and and in our venues and
1: and have those shared experiences together so um, i told robert i, I kind of have one more and then i'm going to let him have some space and then i'll <laughs> likely have another question or two but thinking about our young our young artists and our um, our youth in the school spaces and how different their lives look and I have, I have four daughters. Um, obviously, my organization represents thousands of little girls. And so how does it hurt your heart when you, well, and maybe it's not, right? Maybe you love the fact that they're figuring out ways to do their orchestra practice via Zoom. Oh. But are you at all worried about as they're moving to a virtual or a virtual hybrid, and they have to decide which classes have to be priority frankly right at the high school and and I've heard a lot about you know I don't get to do my choir class or we're not having this class how can or is the um is the arts council at all involved in helping lift up that to me maybe potentially a new normal for the short term um does it worry you do you think we'll get back to normal it's always been kind of a challenge Ah, that is a huge concern. Um, And
2: I get actually really emotional even talking about this because it's so important, and arts education we're already hanging on by a thread mm-hmm. in, in in terms of arts education and access in our schools and getting real estate and resources to be able to support that. it was already tough, so yes, we are very concerned, and we know. It is a lifeline for these kids, and the impact that it has on their academic outcomes, on their attendance, on their, the socio-emotional learning benefits that it has, and especially coming out of this experience and the trauma, we don't even know yet what all of this is doing to our kids, you know? Um, we know what a lifeline the virtual experiences have been, And so I think um, right now, one of the priorities that we're working on with IPS, which in our community, again, has done such an amazing job of really jumping in and trying to close the digital divide, right? So making sure the understanding that we're gonna be in some form of virtual here for a while, um, making sure that we are supporting access to arts programming as a part of, of that curriculum. So that's the first, one of the first things that we've been focused on in making sure that we're supporting organizations and artists and IPS in IPS and making those connections. Um, and then we are, we are worried about what it looks like and it, it may, take, may take some time because so many of our experiences are about visiting artists coming into the schools or about field trips and creating those opportunities and experiences. And we know that that's gonna be challenging for a while. So I think it's, um, we have a wonderful relationship with IPS. It's a strong partnership. They have a strong commitment to the arts. Um, Alicia is on our board. We're so grateful to have the superintendent on our board. Um, So we're hopeful, but but it, it is an area of concern.
0: Thank you, Danielle. Uh, you are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise. It's sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel and Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose McKinney and & Evans and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer and its patriarch who passed last year, P.E. McAllister, was instrumental in so many of the things and funding and initiatives involving the art community in Indianapolis, not to mention the Opera Awards, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Julie. Yes. Uh, it was quite a while ago, but the I think the quote is still uh, 100% on point. But during World War II, when Winston Churchill was asked to cut arts funding so that he could divert money to the war effort, he famously replied, then what are we fighting for? (laughs) As you encounter folks who may have to cut their philanthropic endeavors, uh, how do you convince them or how do you work with them to say, no, 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 the arts are still very important?
2: Well, I think... um Fortunately, we have we haven't been confronted by that too much so far. I mean, we have a culture of support in our city where the value of arts uh, is is pretty well understood. But there, there it is a challenging environment, and there are a lot of competing priorities, and we we know that. Um, so I think. One of the ways, it depends on who we're talking to, but um, I think the economic impact and um, reinforcing the, the jobs and the, and the number of jobs that our sector represents has been important to that conversation um, because there are real impacts to our city and to our economy um related to the arts and uh, and specific to cultural tourism um so there's that dimension of it but i think the the other is just the intrinsic value of the arts and that we are as we navigate this now intersecting crisis of um you know the pandemic and this focus on equity and racial justice, we we need the arts to help us understand and process and express and heal and and come together. And I think the arts are always essential in that work, but I think right now, it, it, it will, the arts are gonna be essential. Uh, they already are, they already have been through the, the early phases of this, but, but it's gonna be essential for us to come together, for us to heal, for us to um, move forward as a, as a community, as a city and, and as a society. So I think the essence of those comments and of the quote you shared is still absolutely true.
0: We have a rock star nonprofit CEO as co-host, and that's Danielle. And anyone who has anything to do with the Girl Scouts now or in the past will tell you what a magnificent job she's doing. You exist in a pretty unique community. Are there other nonprofit CEOs in or out of the arts sector who you say, I'm really glad I know her or him?
2: Oh my goodness. Well, I, yes, I think, um, this, the civic partnerships in Indianapolis are extraordinary. And in addition to being on weekly calls, uh, with arts leaders who I'm inspired by every day, um, that the arts administrators in the city are extraordinary. Um, the civic leaders have also been, we've also been having calls once a week, uh, to support and share and, um, collaborate. And so, and, and a number of them are also on my board. So I have the, the <laughs> dual <laughs> pleasure of, of, um, interacting with them on multiple levels, but, you know, visit Indy and Leonard, Michael Huber at the chamber, Ryan Vaughn at Indiana Sports Corp, Sherry. Uh, downtown Indy, they've, you know, I, I, it's hard to express how important and meaningful it's been to have per- personal support from them and, and professional support. But the openness, the vulnerability, the sharing um, has been incredible. And one of the things that really, has stood out to me. And you've probably done this, Danielle. It's just people taking time to stop what they're doing and call and check in. And so I've, I've had that experience where some very busy people in our, in our community just reach out to say, Hey, I, I just want to thank you for what the arts council is doing. I want you to know, we see you, we see what you're doing. And I, but I just want to check in on you personally. Mm -hmm. And that, um, it was, it just made a huge difference. And it also reminded me of the importance of that. And for all of us as, as leaders right now to make sure we're taking time to do that with our staff, with our boards, with our networks, um, but I think, especially as this continues, you know, we are in this kind of long, long road ahead um, to not lose sight of the of the of the impact that that can have.
0: One person I want to mention, and you mentioned his name actually. I brought up to him. So, do you want to give a shout out to Mr. Tony Mason uh, from the Urban League, and maybe? <laughs> Maybe you two can come on one time and sing the Miami of Ohio fight song. If there Love is one,
2: and honor. yes, we'd be happy to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Produce some terrific people, Miami of Ohio, especially my friend, Derek in Yes. AGP. Yes.
2: I had the pleasure of working with Derek at Strata. Yeah. He's
0: education expert. Absolutely brilliant. And we should say condolences to Derek. He it's been a few months, but he lost his wife, Shelly. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Shelly was my boss when I worked at the Crown Plaza Union Station 25 years ago, who is currently uh-huh. one of our sponsors. Wonderful. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a few questions that are a little more um, rapid fire, and then I'll turn it over to Danielle to uh, finish out the podcast. So are you ready? Ready. If you could sing like anyone in the world, whose voice would you take?
2: Oh, my gosh. Bernadette Peters.
0: Now, I would not have put that on my radar, but terrific voice, (laughs) obviously. If you could play an instrument like anyone in the world, which instrument and whose talent would you take?
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: Um... This is so hard
2: because it's like asking for for favorites and I have too many.
0: We're a a bare knuckles podcast. You know, we don't, Julie, we don't let people slide.
2: I know I'll I'm going to stick with singers. I'm going to say Denise Graves her. It's her voice and her, this, the soul of her performance stays with me.
0: If you could paint like anyone in history, whose painting skills would you like to have?
2: Oh my gosh. Um, I'm, on a, I'm on a roll right now, but I'll go with Surat.
0: Excellent. Your majors is in your degrees in communications. And as I mentioned before the podcast, and I'll say it again, uh you amanda kingsbury is a dear friend and absolutely terrific at what she does and uh, probably the greatest film noir expert i've ever met in my entire (laughs) life and uh, communications is very important obviously i do it for a living through veteran strategies my pr company Uh, danielle's had to do it a lot through the girl scouts and dina potter her pr person is absolutely magnificent but when it comes to communicating your message, whether you're sitting in front of a bunch of folks whom you'd like to give money or would like to receive money, get donations from, or speaking in front of an audience, what are the key messages, not only for the Arts Council, but for you personally, that seem to make good things happen?
2: Well, specific to the I guess the first thing to say is the the heroes of our story at the Arts Council are the artists and the arts organizations of Indianapolis. So, as often as possible, I, I hope to not be the one in front of audiences. I, my My goal and our our role is really to make to, to put forward, and to, to amplify and elevate the amazing talent that we have in our community. And I think when we do that, that's what results in good things. So I think our, our number one responsibility and it's why we're so fortunate to have Amanda is just to continue to be relentless in building awareness and understanding and access to the artists and organizations that we have in Indianapolis. Um, and, and, and when we do that and we build those relationships, we build those connections, uh, we create those experiences, um, that that translates into support and growth and, uh, and expansion. And so, um, that it's it's all about always all about the artists and uh, and the organizations that really are are the engines of our our creative economy
0: how would you define equity in arts equity in arts funding and inclusion in arts and inclusion in arts funding you mentioned the wonderful superintendent Alicia Johnson from my alma mater Indianapolis public schools And uh, she's made it her mission, one of her missions. And I remember art class in IPS, uh, mostly because my uh, next door neighbor and I had a paste eating contest, I think almost every day. And maybe that explains a few things, but what it doesn't explain is how arts somehow in the list of, in the pantheon, the litany of things that get emphasized with education, a lot of it's technical and a lot of it's science and math, but, and i wouldn't even call it a softer skill because it's not but the arts can get lost in the shuffle how important is it for you to have a voice like superintendent johnson's uh, associated with yours and how would you define those two things
2: well uh, the arts council uh, just a few years ago adopted a, a new equity statement and actually revised our funding guidelines around our equity priorities and it is about access and equitable access to, to resources, uh, equitable access to funding. Um, and that starts with awareness. of just making sure that um, we have relationships with all artists in our community, that they're all aware of the programs and services and the funding that's available, that we have an equitable process to uh, to to administer those funds um so the and the the umbrella over all of that is a is a statement that we believe indianapolis is a city that can and should deliver on the promise of a full creative life for all and so that's kind of the, a governing belief that and a, and a filter that we put up against every decision that we make, every priority that we set, every program and process that we operate. And we're, um, and we're on that journey like so many organizations right now to, to do more, better and faster. We've made a lot of progress, but it's not enough. And um, so I think it's, uh, it's also in terms of access, making sure that the arts, are are integrated into our community. And you speak you you spoke about it re- related to education. And it's very important um, to have those specific experiences in education, but also for it to be integrated into the educational experience. And um, and Alicia I know believes that um her her kids go to Edison and have that that experience of art and arts integrated experience where arts is part of the humanities, it's part of science, it's part of how they're helping kids learn all of the disciplines. Um, and I do think that that isn't uh, uh, you know adopted everywhere, but it is a movement that is um, underway and it's important. Um, and we have great examples of that here in Indianapolis. Um, and the other is just access and inclusion is making sure that our artistic experiences, our products, our programs, reflect our whole community and all residents that we serve, all visitors that we engage. Um, And so there's a lot of intention and work around uh, diversity and equity in, in staffing, in board representation, in casting, in programming, and again, we're we're seeing tremendous um, intention and investment and care being put on this, and there's much more work that we need to do. But it's it's all of that, and actually, um, it's been really um, inspiring that through this process, going through the recovery process with the sector, we've we've created a recovery guide. Uh, on reopening and created some really deep resources for the sector around COVID related reopening. But now we're talking as a community, as an arts community about how do we take this structure, these these forums that we've created, this this community of trust and uh, support that has been created through this and use that, apply that to advance these equity and inclusion and diversity goals together. So that's really the, the next phase of this work together is to, um, is, is to accelerate that, but do it in a more unified way.
0: Thank you for that. I know it's kind of an open-ended question, but I know it's an important message for the Arts Council and you personally. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to articulate it. Thank you. Danielle, take us home.
1: Right. And as I always do to you, Robert, I have to insert one more before the last five. So, Julie, so Girl Scouts across the country has four pillars. One of them is STEM. One of them is outdoor adventure entrepreneurship. And um, if you were talking to our national organization and 112 Girl Scout CEOs, what case would you make for the insertion of the A into STEM? And for those that don't know what I'm talking about, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. But oftentimes we get the question: Where's the A? Where's the arts integration? And why does Girl Scouts not insert the A, making it STEAM? Well,
2: I love you for for asking that, and I <laughs> um, and I would <laughs> um, would love to help make that case. Um, it's because the A is the amplifier for all of the other uh, disciplines. I mean, the the A creates pathways for learning and understanding and engagement. Um, It helps address the the whole child, the whole, we all learn differently. And that creates uh, pathways and engagement and opportunities for all of those disciplines to be more successful and, and to have better outcomes. And there is so much science mm-hmm. to use that. There's so much science and data around that now um, that I would love to take that on with you and we can have more, more discussion
1: because, of my goodness, the Girl Scouts should include the A. And I'd like to say, I think most, most people would say we include the A a lot across all four of our pillars. Yes. I think people are still looking for that very codified STEAM versus STEM. Um, so had to ask, all right, the final five questions, final five questions, Julie. And these are also fast, rapid fire. Oh, okay. I'll do my first thing that comes to mind. All right. These, These are easier than Robert. Um, <laughs>
0: but Julie, every, every guest gets the same five questions, not, you're not going to be graded, but you're going to, you're answering the same questions that Angela Brown did and Mitch Daniels and Ted Bohm. And so, uh, you, you will not be graded.
1: Got it. All right. So what was your first, what was your first job? Uh, teaching swimming lessons in my backyard. Entrepreneur and you were at the beginning, right? It sounds like. <laughs> What was your first concert? Oh, my gosh.
2: Donnie and Marie with my my dad, Market Square Arena.
0: I hope you haven't gotten him a Father's Day card. And he
2: took the binoculars right at the moment where he was showing his purple socks. Totally dates me. But there
1: it is.
0: You know, that's not, Danielle, I have to think back, but we've heard that one before.
1: I was just, i was going to ask you, Robert. You—you te- you have a good mental catalog of these responses.
0: Well, I so does so does Chris Spangle, and we have a, a special uh, shame category for concerts.
1: <laughs> that might—I might be entered. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Go ahead.
1: All right, number three. If you could suggest any book for someone to read, what book would that be? Oh my goodness. well i'm gonna fail on that
2: because i there's too many come back to me
0: <laughs> let's put let's put it a different way what was the what was the last book you read that really had an impact
1: hmm. well i' I'm rereading
2: it right now it's and it's not um it's not the best book but it's a really good one it's good to great for nonprofits and also you know i think um and you'll probably appreciate this um simon senek and um it starts with why is also one that i lean on a lot those are professional but that's kind of what i've been what i've been looking
1: at recently okay There's no bad answer. (laughs) So I don't think he has a shame list there, Robert. You can't judge people's literary choices.
0: No, I won't. We'll notice that there's no H in your STEM for history, but.
2: (laughs) And I'll be hearing from my friend Kira on that. I obviously need to make time for a book club somewhere Uh, in here.
1: Yeah.
0: I wouldn't mess with Kira. I know. I (laughs) (laughs) I would do, I would do as she asks. (laughs) Go ahead, Danielle. I'm sorry.
1: All right, it's okay. If you could witness any event in history, be there as it happened. What event would you have chosen?
2: Oh, is this is this past? You know what? Can I make it a future event? And can I make it around the um, the eradication of systemic racism in our society? So, all right. I'm, I'm not the rule
1: maker, so Robert. inspired
2: inspired by what's happening in our city and and thinking a lot about that right now. Absolutely.
1: There, yeah, it will hopefully be history soon, right,
2: behind Well, us. Uh, hopefully we'll see significant progress in in our lifetime, but i I think we're in an extraordinary moment to 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 see some real real movement on this. I
1: hope so. Well, then your answer for number five might be linked. I'll be curious. The fifth answer question is, if you could have dinner with anyone living today, two hours off the record, just to chat, who would you choose?
2: Hmm. Well, I, w- I would have said Toni Morrison, but she's no longer with us. Um, so today, right now, I'll say Michelle Obama. Okay.
0: She's been, was, she's been popular not uh, Barack Obama's been I think probably the most frequently cited dinner mm-hmm. guest I'd have to check with Chris but he's he's got to be one or one a
2: Mm-hmm. and I guess I'll go back to the book and say beloved that's that's one that was a that's really special for me so
0: You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel and Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose, McKinney and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today has been Julie Goodman, president and CEO arts council of Indianapolis. Our co-host has been Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts, central Indiana. Thank you both so very much for coming on the leaders and legends podcast. We enjoyed the conversation very much and thank you both for what you do, especially when it comes to keeping our kids mentally healthy and happy during this very difficult time in our classrooms thank you very much for listening to leaders and legends brought to you by veteran strategies incorporated if you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com that's robert at veteranstrategies.com